thankful for the Lord. I'm glad we can get into his word. I'm glad it's still true. Uh, Psalm of David, uh, my Bible, it says uh, to bring to remembrance. That's what it says at the top, but we'll read it. Psalm 70, verse 1, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. O Lord, let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, and I pray uh, that you would bring it alive in our hearts and minds tonight. Lord, that you'd help us to understand and to apply your word to our lives. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, use me to preach. Uh, uh, let us hear and understand tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. So this psalm, like I said, a short one, uh, you can see right off the bat, David is praying. This is a prayer to the Lord. Uh, and right, uh, you can see at the beginning, uh, at right the first few words, uh, he is praying and it's an urgent prayer. He's saying, make haste. Oh God, and then he says it again, make haste to help me, oh Lord. So David's in trouble. There's something wrong. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know exactly when it is. And David's life, when he ran into this, uh, we can always guess. Uh, my chronological Bible actually put this kind of in the time frame uh, of when David was on the run with Absalom, and it works there, but it would work at a couple other points of David's life. But we we don't know for sure. But that's not the important. You know, if God wanted us to know exactly at what point David's life this psalm occurred, He would have told us because He does that with some of the other uh, psalms. He puts that in there. But we can see David's in trouble, right? he is in trouble something is going on he needs deliverance and if the Lord would tarry or if the Lord would wait then it sounds like David's enemies would prevail against him and then it makes me think have we have you been in a situation where you need something from the Lord and you need it quickly you know some things we can wait if we're honest with ourselves we can wait for quite a while we don't want to wait but we can it's not uh, but this seems to be one of those more urgent Urgent, one of those more life-threatening, one of those, Lord, if you don't come, if you don't uh, uh, move in this situation, then uh, I'm done. So you think about that. But what I like and what I have to remind myself is we know that the Lord knows our situation before we pray. He knows our life. He knows what's going on. He knows our, our minds and everything. He knows this. But also the thing I have to remind myself is, yes, he knows this, but also he's a personal God. He wants a personal relationship with us and not just at the point of salvation, but he wants a personal relationship with us for eternity. And when we talk to God, I, I think the good thing is like what David did is just pour out our heart. Uh, tell God that this is urgent, not to inform him of it, but I think part of it is to remind ourselves, Lord, we need this from you. And if we don't get this from you, then there's no other way out. There's no other. Uh, we need help. Tell the Lord of the urgency, because if we get into that habit of just telling the Lord what's on our heart, I believe our prayer life will get better. 
Amen. If we just pour our hearts out to him uh, because, no, we're not informing him of new things. But I'm telling you what, it always, the relationship always gets better the more communication happens. Amen. Verse 2, let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward uh, and to put confusion that desire my hurt. David, again, these are his enemies, and he's asking God to do something specific. Here's his request. Make my enemies ashamed or make them disappointed. Uh, you know, I, that, that seems to be one of those things that we've noticed lately is some of our enemies have actually gotten disappointed lately. I think sometimes Satan uh, gets to the point where he is, uh, he's gotten so many victories that when he occasionally doesn't get one, uh, everyone's all disappointed and the sky is falling, you know in the camp that's going against God but he that's what David's saying make them ashamed disappointed and make them confounded confuse them confuse mine enemies and disappoint the ones these ones that are going after me and I think remember I said in my uh, the chronological Bible it just happened to place it there at the time uh, of Absalom when uh, David's son Absalom was rebelling against him and stole the kingdom. One of the things that happened is David had this counselor. Uh, I have to look at the name. Ahithophel, I don't know exactly how you say that, but long name. But uh, he leaves David and, and, and joins up with Absalom. So when David hears of this, 2 Samuel 15, 31, David's prayer is this, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And the Lord answers that prayer. If you look at that story, uh, the uh, he wanted them to get in a little army and go after David and kill him. Uh, but uh, the Lord ends up so that way Absalom rejects that counsel. And after he rejects it, uh, Ahithophel uh, puts his house in order. That's where, you know, the world uses that phrase. They don't even realize it's from the Bible. He puts his house in order and he hangs himself because uh, they didn't go with his counsel. Uh, but the Lord answered that. They said right there, he said, hey, uh, turn it into foolishness. He was a wise counselor for me, but do not let Absalom get wise counsel to continue uh, in this rebellion against God and against his father. And then in verses 2 and 3, he asks for the Lord to turn his enemies backwards. And you know, I thought about that. You know, the forces of evil are coming against us. And one thing we have to remind ourselves is we wrestle not, the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers uh, and wickedness, spiritual wickedness in high places. So a lot of times, even though we see faces, we see people, uh, there is the uh, forces of darkness behind those people that are uh, using them to go against us. And when it seems like we are helpless, aren't you glad that the Lord can not only stop the advance of the enemy, he can send them backwards. Amen. He can do that. Uh, the, one of the great illustrations of that is when uh, there at the garden, uh, when they were arresting Jesus, uh, remember what happened. He, he asked who you, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And as soon as Jesus said, I am, uh, they all fell backward. You know, he, he let them arrest them, but it was a reminder that God was in control the entire time. Uh, not only that, I was thinking in our modern day, uh, kind of in our society and in our country, uh, the, the pro-choice movement went backward 
was it last year or the year before? I can't remember exactly when, but when Roe versus Wade was overturned, do you realize how shocked they were when that happened? Because they went backward, right? They had made such advances, uh, you know, with killing babies and abortion and everything else, and they thought it would just always be, and then all of a sudden, just like that, uh, it was done, and now, granted, it's up to the states now, uh, but uh, they went backward so quickly, and it reminds me, God is in control. He's in control with our country. He's in control in our lives. And I'm glad that we can pray to him and say, Lord, we need the enemy pushed back. And he can do that. Verse 3, let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, aha, aha. And that aha, aha at the end, it seems a little silly for us. I know sometimes when you read it in the Bible, but basically in that day, uh, his enemies saying that were cheering against David. When bad things were happening to David, they're cheering, right? They're getting excited, joyful, when, uh, because David, uh, who was God's man, God's representative, his appointed king, uh, is on the run and everything else. They're excited about that. And I don't know about you, I've had some people... People say aha, aha as well in my life too, right? There are people that would get great uh, joy in seeing us stumble and it's sad, but it's, this is the world. And he's saying, Hey, turn them backward for a reward of their shame. Turn them backward that they'd be put to shame. And you know what? Our enemies a lot of times are shameless, right? They don't have any shame living in how they live uh, in complete wickedness and everything else. But you know what? Just like I was saying a minute ago with the abortion and some of the other examples we can think of, the enemies advancing, all of a sudden they're put backward by the Lord. Uh, and as soon as they experience that shame and that failure and everything else, every once in a while, that will cause the enemy to stop and think about where they're at. How did I end up here? Right? I thought we were on the majority. Everything was going great. Now I'm falling backwards. Now I'm ashamed. Now a higher power has fought against me. What is going on? This world doesn't understand that they can never be victorious ultimately against God and against God's word. They don't understand. This is one of those psalms. It's a fancy word. They call it imprecatory psalm, and it's one of those where you, you see a handful of these in the book of Psalms where the, basically it's a prayer against the enemy. So sometimes you'll see them cursing the enemy or different things like that. And I know sometimes when we hit one of these as a Christian, you know, in the New Testament church time, uh, we see a psalm like this and we're wondering, uh, what, well, how does this apply to us? Because I'm not, I don't believe that we're to be cursing our enemies based on the New Testament. Uh, so what do we do with psalms like this? And I thought about this and, and I was thinking as we, you know, as we read through this one, this is a good example. We could say, Lord, make haste, you know, just like David. We need, urgently, we need deliverance from our enemies and we need their advances stopped, the spiritual wickedness stopped. And Lord, here's the part that we can say today. Lord, wake them up, right? Wake them up. Shine some uh, light into their spiritual blindness and into the darkness of their spiritual situation. Lord, soften their heart, 
right? Lord, show them the truth of your word. Show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, so that they can be saved. Because our prayer is not to strike down our enemies. Amen? We're to love them. And the best way to love our enemies is to pray that the Lord would save their soul. Amen? They're, they are headed to hell. They're being deceived. They're being used by the devil and his angels. And we want them to be woken up. Not just for our sakes. Yes, it will lessen our trial. Yes, it will help us. But we uh, genuinely care. I'm telling you what, we should care for every lost soul. No matter how much they go against us, we need to be praying, Lord, soften their heart. Save them before it's too late. And I tell you what, it seems impossible sometimes. But I'm glad our God specializes in the impossible. Amen. That's where he works. And here's the hardest part. The ones that cheer the loudest for us when we stumble and fall are the same ones we probably need to be praying for the hardest. Because if they're watching us enough to realize we've stumbled, then they, I believe, they have a unique opportunity to see what a real Christian is not a perfect one, but a real one. And Lord, help me uh, to live a, a, in front of them, even though they hate me, even though they're going against me. Lord, that it shows them what a Christian is. And Lord, touch them. Give them a chance. And you think about this. It's hard to do. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul it would have been hard to pray for him when he was a Pharisee going after the church, persecuting the church, ripping families apart, killing Christians and everything else. But yet the Lord was able to touch his heart. The Lord was able to save him and turned him into the great missionary apostle and author of so much of the New Testament. God can do it. Amen. I would rather an enemy be changed to a brother and sister any day. Amen. Verse 4, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Now, in the middle of this short prayer, this verse 4 almost seems out of place, right? David needs urgent help. And in verse 5, he'll say it again. He needs urgent help over and over again. The enemies are surrounding him. Something's going on. If the Lord doesn't help him, David's done. Uh, and then we get to this verse 4, and it's a reminder that no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what's going on, no matter what trial that's going on, we can rejoice and be glad in the Lord. In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about the lost. And in uh, Romans 3.17, it's mentioning the lost and some things about lost people. And it says, and the way of peace have they not known. And I, as I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, you know, sometimes as Christians that we, uh, we have felt that peace that passes all understanding through Jesus Christ. And we have felt that in our life and we have that. And sometimes we forget that a lost person has never experienced any peace like that. We can just rejoice and say, even in our worst day, we are living so much better than a lost person. Amen. We're in a better spot. They've never experienced that peace. But we can find peace in the storm. David can find peace in the storm. How do we do it? Uh, two different passages. One, Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I love this verse, but it's a hard verse. 
It's got a condition to it, right? You want peace of God in your life. We all do. We want perfect peace. That's even better, complete peace in our mind. But he says, hey, you want that? You've got to keep that on the Lord. You've got to keep your mind on the Lord. And what's our mind like to do? It likes to wander, doesn't it? He said, you've got to keep it stayed. And you've got to trust in me. We trust in the Lord. We keep our mind on the Lord. He says, I'll give you perfect peace. That's a promise. Well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New? Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. It's in both Testaments right there. He's saying, hey, you you want to know how to keep your mind on the Lord? He's saying right there, the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, all of these things, praiseworthy. Uh, you keep your mind on these things. And he said, the God of peace will be with you. He could have said the God of anything, but he says the God of peace to remind us that's where it comes from. Even in our darkest times, you know what I've had to do in some of the darkest times in my life? There was one, I don't remember who told me this, but it's been a long time ago. Somebody preached it or taught it or said it or something. I don't even know who. But I learned this a long time ago, and I've had to go back to it over and over again in my darkest times when I don't know what to pray, when it feels like everything's done, uh, when it just, I, I mean, I can't turn to any, anything in the Bible. Just nothing seems to be working. The surefire way that I've gotten out of it every time is I just say, you know what? I'm going to start thanking God for things. And I just say one and then say another one and say another one. And it can be just small things. And it has never failed within a matter of minutes. I get more excited. There's been times I've been so down and then I get to shouting because I'm just so uh, so blessed just by thinking and thanking God for what he's done, getting us out of that spot of our darkest times and, and keeping our mind on him. And we can have peace while our enemies are confounded and sent backwards. But then look at the last part of the Psalm and the, or this verse. It says, let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. And I thought we could add that to every one of our prayers. Remember, David is still in trouble. We don't know exactly what it is. We can guess he's still in trouble. He's got enemies surrounding him. They're going against him. He needs deliverance. He needs it urgently. He can't wait. Uh, and if he doesn't get it from the Lord, he's going to fail. But his ultimate desire is for the Lord to be magnified in his trial, in his situation, no matter, no matter what happened. And I thought about that. And I thought, I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge each one of us to start adding this to our prayers. Let God be magnified. Whatever it is, let him be magnified. Not just with lip service, but really mean it with our heart. You know what that means? Whatever happens in my life, whatever the outcome is, whether I'm delivered now, whether I'm delivered later, whether I continue in the trial or not, I want God's name to be magnified. I want him to get the glory. 
How did, what's that look like? We want to see the kingdom of God advance, souls saved, Christians edified and growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ as they see the Lord to can be uh, continue to be faithful. Uh, you know, if I have to stay in this trial, whatever it is, I want people to see it and, and I want to see the lost see that there's something real in Jesus and I want the saved to see, hey, if Mike's able to trust God in the trial, then maybe I can because I don't know about you. I have drawn strength from that. I've drawn strength from seeing brothers and sisters in a trial that I knew would probably last the rest of their life, yet they're still praising God, still serving God, still thanking God, still doing what God's called them to do, and that helps us each to continue on. Let God be magnified. Let him get the glory. But here's the problem. If we're honest with ourselves, the thing that God gets the most magnification and glory out of is not what we're praying for, right? We want the quick exit, right? Take the storm away instantly before anyone has to hear about it, before any, any, I have to deal with anything. And a lot of times that's not what works. That's not what really gives God the glory. Verse five, we'll finish with this. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God, thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. So David is praising the Lord. Remember, verse 4 almost seems like it doesn't fit. It's such a blessing in there. Uh, but really, uh, here's the thing. Is some people would say, well, David, just, he must just not have a grip on reality. Well, verse 5, he's right back to reality again. Lord, I'm poor and needy. He's the king. Right? He's got uh, God's help and everything else. But there's times where even the king uh, was on the run and in trouble. He's realistic. The trial's tough. He's on the run from his enemies. And you think about that. That would have drained him physically, would have drained him mentally, would have drained him spiritually. And we've been in instances, we've been in trials like that, right? I mean, there are, uh, it is crazy the way uh, you can have something happen at work and it can just about derail your whole life, right? You can have something, uh, uh, you know, even, even happen physically. You can have these different things. But he is saying, hey, uh, I am poor and needy. Uh, but as he's saying that, he He's pointing to the Lord. Lord, you're not, right? Yeah, you have all the resources. You can heal. Yeah, thou art my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Make no tearing. And here's the thing. David could have had possibly a plan B. I don't know. But he's not giving it right here. He's saying there is none. I'm turning to the Lord. I'm trusting in the Lord. And whether whatever he does... That's the way I'm going. I have nowhere else to turn for help. And you know what I've realized in my life? The quicker I've gotten to this point, verse 5, the quicker help tends to come. Because in my life, I know what I've tried to do. I've tried to fix it myself. I use all my resources, right? Uh, call in all my favors and everything else. And then finally I realized this is bigger than me, right? I'm poor and needy. I, I'm not going to get out of this myself. Then I turn to the Lord, right? I try to help God helping me. And then I'm reminded God doesn't need any help. Yeah. He just wants us to trust in him. What a God. But this short prayer, what a prayer. But I, I, I think verse 4 is the thing we need to focus on. And to underline, he says, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. 
Remember, again, this is in the midst of the trial. And let such as love thy salvation. We love his salvation, don't we? That's us. Say continually, let God be magnified. That's powerful tonight. We're going to open up the altar tonight.